This is episode number 124 of the Rising Man podcast with Blaze Grinner. A warrior does not give up what he loves. He finds love in what he does. Blessings and good risings to you, family. Jetty Azuma here bringing you another installment of the Rising Man podcast. If we are meeting for the very first time, then let me introduce myself. I am the host of this podcast, and I'm also the founder of the Rising Man movement. Here at Rising Man, our mission is simple. We are on a mission to initiate an entire generation of men into purpose and power. We believe that this is the greatest impact that we can leave on the world and onto humanity. But none of it's possible without our Rising Man community. None of it is possible without creating this culture that we call Rising Man and disseminating it and spreading it all across the globe. So let this be an invitation to you to become a bigger part of this Rising Man community. There's many ways in which you can do this and all of them are living over at risingman.org. Whether you're a man who's looking for a virtual men's online circle or you're looking for an opportunity to clarify your purpose and get deeper, more deeply connected to what you're here to do in this world, we got something for you. Just go over to risingman.org, sign up to be a part of our Rising Man Fire Circles. You can apply to be a part of our next four-day vision fast called Compass and so many other opportunities to become a bigger, more integral part of this community. We're looking for guys who want to step up, who want to step forward, who want to carry the banner of the Rising Man and be a bigger part of what we're doing here. So if that's you, if you've been sitting on the fence, if you've just been listening to the podcast for a while, you haven't really gotten involved, now's the time, man. Step up. Let's do it. All right. Today's guest is Blaze Grinner, back for on a second episode. We had him back on the show. I think it was about a year ago. So much has changed since then. So for those of you who don't know Blaze, after spending over a decade in construction as a supervisor and excelling in rugby league, leadership is what Blaze was born to do. As a young and uninitiated man, circumstances led him down a path of destruction, alcohol and drug abuse, porn and gambling addictions that led to poor self-worth, confidence and lack of direction, which meant very little confidence and a high level of insecurity. In 2019, Blaze was nominated in the Sunshine Coast of Australia for Citizen of the Year. He's a men's coach. He leads outdoor adventure retreats for men and is raising two boys with his beautiful wife, Melinda. In this episode, we discuss living into purpose despite rejection and disapproval from family and loved ones. What is the definition of leadership and why most men don't see themselves as leaders? We talked about leadership beginning with what we know, what we're good at, and how we can leverage our abilities into service to others. When faced with adversity, the most important question to ask is what is the best thing that could happen? What is the best case scenario? We discussed the difference between worriers and warriors and how we can all lead the charge in the fight of our lives. Without further ado, Blaze Grinner. All right, Rising Man family, I've got my dear brother, Blaze Grinner, back for a second time, joining us live from the Sunshine Coast down under. How are you, bro? I'm well, man. It's glad to be back. RMP number two. That's it. Another one. Another one in the books. Listen, man, you know, I brought you on here and you know why, because we talk about this offline all the time. But And those who don't know you, they'll hear about you in the intro. But I brought you on here because my impression of you is that you're a dude who's a real accessible kind of dude. Your story, your background of where you came from and how you found your your place in this field of men's work and becoming the best husband, father, servant to society that you can be. 
And so um, I'm le- I'm counting on you for that today. Can, can I count on you to bring that rawness? <laughs> you know, man. You know it. It's it's uh, what I pride myself on, man. Yeah, I know it. I know it. Well, let, let's start here. Since you've already answered a lot of the cornerstone questions of the Rising Man podcast, here I'm gonna I'm gonna hit you with some things you're not expecting. Oh, let's do it. So for those who don't know you and your story, mm-hmm. you come from a background in. Well, why don't you just give us a little bit of a brief background? to catch everybody up to speed. Yeah, sweet. Kiwi born, Māori raised, moved to Australia when I was four. Broken family. Mum separated from dad at seven. He was very violent, so I had a, had a violent upbringing, saw a lot of violence. Eldest, eldest of five, uh, three sisters and a brother. Excelled in rugby league, captain every team I ever played in, was on scholarship here you know, with an NRL team. And it all went south and then moved into construction, did a decade in the construction industry in Australia which is both rugby league and construction, were heavily macho bravado cultures. And through that, at age 27, had what we would call a spiritual awakening and started questioning, who am I? And the, the fingers stopped pointing outwards. And I started pointing them back inwards and started like really dropping into that question, like, who am I? Like, what is life all about? What is my purpose? And then over the past eight years, been on that self-discovery journey. And it's uh, led me down a path of men's work and, being in service, man. So it's uh, in a nutshell that aspect. And then, yeah, like you said, too, bro. Um, I've got a beautiful fiance and two magical little boys. Breath, he's two, and Oak is four months old, man. Today, actually, four months old today. So they're they're my drive. They're my why. They get me up out of bed every morning to, to yeah, to serve the men of this planet and our communities, bro. Mm, mm, yes, man. So beautiful, man. Such a great story. And you know, the last time that we had you on here, we we talked a bit from both of our perspectives about our our respective entrances into what we call the work, men's work. Mm -hmm. And I want to revisit that just for a moment because I know in recent conversations that we've had, a lot of times stepping into this kind of space and out of the spaces that we were in previously can be very unconventional, can be ridiculed by Mm -hmm. whether it's our family or our former friends or partners, buddies, coworkers, whoever it may be, mm. to, to step into that world is a lot of times re- it receives a lot of, ne- I will say, we'll say ineffective feedback. Yeah. So just, I just want to hear a little bit about what that was like for you, specifically from your, your family. Yep. What was your family's response to you stepping in full force and leaving construction and getting into the work? And then also from some of your mates from mm. back in the construction biz initially, and then presently the rawness man my um i've got a lot of my throat is really lumpy right now i'm revisiting a lot of that trauma so i'm going to start with my best friend man when i first did the personal development sort of jump and went to this workshop i didn't have social media for about four or five years and i created a facebook page and he came at me on social media as my best mate saying that i was in a cult and really came at me man and it fucking hurt so bad. This is my best mate couldn't see who I was. And that just made me feel so alone. I let go of him and all of my childhood friends in that moment. And it felt like I had to start all over. I got the new kid on the block and, and really, really felt a lot, really alone. Regardless of my family, man, I remember the, one of the first videos I ever did. I didn't have social media. I, I just chose not to have social media. One of the first videos I did got really raw, really vulnerable. And because of what my, um, my, the attack my mate had, had said about, um, like, this isn't who you are. I thought, fuck it, I'm just going to talk about all of the darkness and the shadows so that people like him and all these other friends had nothing on me. So I declared about, like, being addicted to ice and all of the addictions and all of the stuff. And then mum rang me and she goes, hey, Blazy, i um seen that, that video you did. 
don't you think you've gone a bit far? And I just remember saying to her, mum, you haven't seen nothing yet. And then that was really interesting because it brought up a lot of, because I was talking about my experiences of certain situations that involved other people, it really brought up a lot of stuff because of the upbringing we had. It was very colourful. And it, for about six, seven months, mum didn't really talk to me, especially as I started getting more vocal. All of my family didn't talk to me really. And it was interesting because my mum was always, always grew up. She'd always say how proud she was of me. And then making the transition in the men's work, her first maybe 18 months, I never heard that from her. First two years, never heard that from her. It took 18 months for her to actually come to one of my talks and she um, came to one of my workshops. And that was such a beautiful moment. And that day, she, like, she said she liked it, but she didn't really say she was proud of me. And there's been a situation in my family unit at the moment. I've actually invited one of my brother-in-laws into one of my men's circles and gifted him the program. And it was a really beautiful moment, man, that every one of my family members, my mum, my brother, all of my sisters reached out and acknowledged the work that I've done. And all of them by one said that the way that I'm showing up as a man is allowing them to think differently and look at life a little bit different. So even though it was a lonely journey, I just trusted in that um, I was doing the right thing for me. It was lonely. Though in that loneliness, I really discovered um, a beautiful connection with myself and, and really embraced what solitude could do for a man. And now, like Oscar Wilde said, man, fall in love with yourself is the beginning of a lifelong romance. And that's something that I never had uh, growing up. I, I really felt that I didn't really have a, a self-love practice. I always thought self-love was a, a feminine thing, a female thing, a, quote unquote, right. that's what pussies do. But yeah, now loving myself, who I am, man, it's, uh, it's been a beautiful journey. Yeah, uh, that's, that's such a beautiful story, man. I'm glad that you got to share that and appreciating the rawness of it too. One of the things that strikes me is that you couldn't have been doing it purely for the validation. I know this it's obviously for all of us to some degree, we want to be seen, we want to be acknowledged and recognized for our pursuits and our efforts. It's, it's just the human condition. But mm. And I'll let you, I'll let you answer, but it, it seems to me that you couldn't have been doing it purely for the validation. Otherwise, you probably would have quit a while ago because you had all the people that love you the most, that know you the longest, telling you that you're crazy, that you shouldn't be doing stuff like this. If not for the validation, then, then what was it that drove you? What drove me was that when I first experienced for myself being able to let go of the shackles that were restricting me. And for me, it was how, how harshly I was judging myself because of all of the stuff I'd done in the past that consciously or subconsciously knew wasn't uh, in alignment with who I wished to be. And because of that, I was judging myself so much. And then when I was able to like let go of that shackle and how freeing it felt for me, how boundless, how unrestricted I felt. That feeling is the exact feeling I would like to allow every person to feel um, like boundless, unrestricted. And however that looks for that certain person, just seeing the light bulb moments and having those, what Buddha says, aha, I remember I studied Buddhism for three years and one of the monks or disciples asked Buddha, how do you know when you become enlightened? And Buddha said only two words and he said, aha. And this really allows me to remember like every single time someone has a aha moment, that penny drop or that light bulb hits them and they just remember an essence about themselves. That is, that's why I do it, man. That makes me feel so fucking fulfilled, accomplished, all of that. And then to have that reflected mm-hmm. with a compliment from my family or other people, that's just a cherry on top. It does feel mm-hmm. nice to have the family, the, the recognition, but it's, yeah, it's not why I do it, bro. Yeah. I get it. I get it, man. I, and just to share a little bit of my own story, which I don't know if you know that, that much about mine. 
at this point, which is odd because we talk multiple <laughs> times a week for everyone else's benefit. I think I've had my, I had my father on the podcast early on oh, for wow. a Father's Day episode the first year. And it was a huge stretch to get my dad to come mm -hmm. on here. And, you know, he had all these questions about, I told him, I was like, I just want to ask you some questions about you and maybe some questions about what it was like to raise me and mm -hmm. nothing too personal. We don't have to, you don't have to answer anything you don't want to. I made it really easy for him to be on here, you know? Yeah. And even, even then it was really tough for him. And, you know, I don't even know if my dad listened to the episode. I know my mom did because mm -hmm. my mom's kind of like that. She's, she's a big fan of mine, but even my mom doesn't, you know, and I don't expect her to, but she doesn't listen to the podcast all the time. She's not really active on social media. So she doesn't really, she, she doesn't really know much about my life and what I do except for when I, what I tell her. Mm. And I've noticed myself recently keeping it, I keep it pretty vague just because I don't really, I don't really trust that they'll understand it. And I don't know how, how interested they actually are in, in knowing exactly what I do. It's enough for them. I think for my dad, I know it's enough for him to know that I'm taking care of my family and mm -hmm. that I'm not, you know, broke and asking for money. Mm -hmm. And for my mom, it's always been, are you happy? Yeah. But there's a big part of me, man. You know, we, you and I were talking about ceremony too. I, I want my mother and my father and my, my brothers from back home to be a bigger part of of this part of my life, not just rising man, but, you know, peyote ceremony and everything else that I'm involved in, because mm -hmm. that's, I feel like that's really me. It's not the, it's not the me that they knew that they knew for the majority of my life, but it's who I've become. That's what I'm reminded of when I hear your story. That's what I can relate to is just wanting to be able to share who I've discovered myself to be beneath some of those layers that I came into this life with. Yeah, and I feel more confident than ever than I ever have to share that with them. But it still feels like a big edge. Yeah, yeah. I remember, man, when when I first started discovering these new thought patterns and trying different things, I was so excited and that passion side of me. I would talk to my family about it, though. I really feel as like from a pushy standpoint, like, like trying to push it mm. onto them, which I just walled up and they didn't really want to hear it. And so stepping back. And then just walking my path, like you're saying, man, it's just like walking my path, creating a life that I wanted. Now they're starting to inquire about that because it's not putting it pushed on them and they're getting a bit curious. And they've been asking about ceremony. I was talking to my mum and my stepdad four days ago and um, um, I asked if they would sit with a mushroom ceremony with me. And that reason was like, I'll never have this opportunity again to actually to, to do that. And they were willing. Mm -hmm. And so I'm really excited to actually sit down with my family, especially because they knew how drugs had really ineffectively, like the party drugs scene really affected my youth. And then for them to be open to sit down and do a mushroom ceremony with me, I'm really excited about that, especially with my stepdad. He's a very unique character. He, um, he's got so many con conspiracy theories and he does a lot of research and like, I really know it's going to go there. So excited for that one, man. <laughs> yeah, that peyote ceremony. I remember just recently sat and rang you because I had some apprehension about it. I didn't know what to expect. And I remember asking around that. I like, just didn't know if I was ready to in, uh, the endurance aspect of it. And uh, you just reminded me of how heart opening it was. We just spoke just off air before. Like that was you know, six weeks ago, seven weeks ago. And it's like completely transformed my life. Like it, it, it elevated me in a way that I never knew that was possible. And now it is a path that I'm willing to choose. And it's like really on my heart. And now to bring my family, immediate family, and then other family members into that would be really special to me. Mm. But then just remembering that when I try to push this stuff, it didn't work. So now just that reminder of me just being me. If it's meant to be, they'll, they'll come just from me being me. That's right, man. That's right. That actually, that whole 
addition to the story reminds me of some lessons I've learned on leadership. And I've been, I've been speaking a little bit more about leadership in, in my social media spaces. Cause to, to me, I, I started to recognize that when in doing our, the work that we do with men, there's a lot of men out there who don't see themselves as leaders mm. and who don't, if you, if you ask, I, cause I go into places, I ask guys, you know, what is your definition of a leader? And I, you hear a bunch of mm-hmm. typical things, you know, about leadership. And then you ask them, how many of you guys are leaders? And they start looking around the room well, I'm not a leader. Who who is? And it's it's really fascinating because my my inter. Well, t- why don't you tell me your your definition and interpretation of leadership before I give you mine? There's so many layers to this question. Though my definition of leadership is being true to a common mission or value, like value or mission of whatever that is for a certain person, and living that uh, like a, a like full embodiment of that of of the values or the mission or yeah the, the mission that this person has. And being able to recognize that leadership has many different forms and styles and that if we're to lead other people to know those other people and what leadership styles and trends and patterns and behaviors will work. And so I feel a trait of leadership is flexibility, really being able to be flexible and pivot and have that ability to allow people to see the vision that you have. Mm. So let, let me ask you one more follow-up question because it might be a little bit simpler than coming up with a definition. What does leadership look like to you? How would you describe it when you see it? So a few years ago, I thought leadership was always about being first, going first, showing people the way, which is effective, yet it's only a piece of the puzzle. And so the the levels of leadership and then looking into like how can as a leader, can I empower somebody else into leadership? And then how do I do that? How can, as a leader, create other leaders? So looking at that perspective, like sometimes it can't be going first. It's actually empowering other people. I love the analogy of a mountain, bro. So a mountain, just in its presence, just by being a mountain, allows other men to elevate. And if we look at a collective of society, there's a lot of people that try and climb to a summit, but they'll climb over other people with greed and power to get to the top. But then the mountain, just being him, allows another man to elevate, and that is enough. Mm. And I believe that by just being you allows other men to elevate with you as well. Yeah, I completely agree, man. My As my own definition of leadership has matured and evolved over the years, I take on more of what you just described for me, a leader is someone who inspires those around him or her to be greater and to aim for greatness, to rise to that standard, that level that that individual has embodied by his his or her presence. And so, like you said, a, a leader is someone that doesn't have to say anything, doesn't have to even do anything particular, but it's more about a presence, about a being. I often mm-hmm. think about the the elders, the masters, whether it's masters in martial arts, masters in ceremonial ritual ways, masters in anything. They can just walk in a room and you just feel like, whoa, there's a, a whole wave of energy and momentum that just follow that person into the space. And to me, that's leadership because mm-hmm. as soon as I feel that, it puts, it puts me kind of on notice, like, whoa, there's somebody here who's got something that I don't have. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna pay attention mm-hmm. and I'm gonna listen 
and I'm watch, I'm going to observe and I'm, and, and also I'm going to bring the best of what I got. Cause I want to, I want to rise to that level mm-hmm. to me. That's, that's the purest form of leadership. And so I wanted to speak about this a little bit because of your story. And also because I know there's a lot of guys who are listening who probably don't see themselves as leaders who probably are not yet, or may, may not be yet the guy who walks in the room that is that has this magnetism that attracts people that makes other people want to be great and to raise their level around him. And so I want to just dive into this a little bit and and give guys an opportunity to see what it could look like. And I heard elements of that type of leadership in your story and what you were sharing about your family and about the circumstances that have, that have unfolded in the past few months maybe even leaning a little bit more into your construction buddies. Cause I know that you've had a lot of influence on that particular demo of, of fellas out there. So can you speak a little bit about that? Exactly what you say, man, around presence. And for me as a man, looking at another man with that presence, for me, it is very, very attractive. There's this, uh, it, it attracts me because of, he doesn't need anything. There's nothing that that man needs. He he's, uh, and that quality I feel is very, very attractive. The, over the past several years, with men that I reacquaint myself with that were tradies, they, they always ask me, like, what, what is it that you've done on yourself? Because you're a completely different man. The way that you're holding yourself is completely different. The way that you're, there's a bit more of a, a poise and a confidence and a clarity around what I'm doing. And I feel the in construction, uh, a lot of the time with myself included when I was there, I had this really narrowed tunnel vision that that was the only way. And it took me being around other leaders that thought different, that gave me different perspectives, actually gave me a different viewpoint. And that different viewpoint, I was able to start questioning the life that I had, the decisions I was making, who I was. And then from that place, it was like, hmm, what, what would life look like if I chose a different path? And then that took leadership in courage and bravery and the unknown and facing off with all of the stories of like uh, scarcity. What is if, what, what is if I fail? I'm not successful enough to do that. And then just looking back, it was like, well, I got this far in life with my leadership qualities. Now, can I just take that and put it into a different avenue and start my apprenticeship again? And that starting that apprenticeship again, that, that was challenging as well going from a boss of like running 140 million projects to a dude that is just just dipping his toes into the men's work and it, it felt like i was there yeah, going to be apprentice again in construction as an apprentice you did all the grimy hard work and people put you down and it was just shit yet cutting the teeth in men's work is completely different the, the, the apprenticeship with men's work is nothing like construction so the the expectation that I had completely different, but yeah, I, mm. I really resonate with exactly what you said, man, around our leadership and presence, and that is anyone in any field because they're so confident of who they are in that field and they're leading in that field. Whereas the father, just as a father, as not just as I'll reframe that, as a father with his children, but and so confident in his fathering, that is attractive. Uh, like you said, with ceremonies and coaches, a football coach. Uh, supervisor on a, a job site these people that are, are leaders are very very confident within who they are and they have a really direct vision and they're very clear where they're going and for me man that's really attractive mm, yeah man I, I definitely can relate i've obviously i didn't work in that trade but i, I think about sports teams 
that I was on. You know, when you're the young guy, when you're the freshman, when you're the new recruit on a team or the young guy, the small guy, there's like a hazing that goes on. There's like a, a different form of initiation, you know, that is actually very parallel to the definition of initiation that we use in rites of passage is being inducted into a society to become a part of something that you're not yet a part of. And mm -hmm. there's healthy versions, healthy initiations, and there's unhealthy initiations. And I think the ones in which we put down and try to do, do harm is really what it comes down to. If, if there's an initiation that does harm to mm -hmm. someone, that makes them feel less than, that makes them feel unworthy, makes them feel small and insignificant, I think is a version of that immature unrefined initiation that you see a lot in fraternities, gang initiations, other, other forms of initiations. But like what you referenced in stepping into men's work and being a part of conscious man brotherhood and these other circles that there's a, we know what it's like to step into that space and to be vulnerable for the first time and to really let your guard down and to begin trusting men because someone did that for us before. Mm. So how, how could we do anything but be open and loving and receptive to those, to those guys who are coming in? Because now you and I, because we were both there at, at different points before, when we look back and you see a man who's stepping up for the first time, who's letting himself be seen in his tears and his mess and his snotty, you know, <laughs> mess of a face because of the things he's never been able to say, it's a celebration. Mm. It's a celebration. But for me, I think it's because we've already done that before and we know how cathartic and how big of a thing it is for us as individuals so when you can recognize that in another man and really see it for what it is then it's a celebration it's not a it's not one of some of those other things that be, that have become a part of our culture yeah yeah man it is a celebration that remembering of what that moment was like and with that too man i have to continually remind myself of that too new men entering and just remembering to come back of what, what was it like when I first entered and allow him to go through that process and at his own time, at his own pace and not rush it and just allow that to unravel because it was, it, it's powerful. And that's the medicine right there. Yeah. Mm -hmm. but I definitely had to remind myself that a lot. Yeah. Yeah, man. So let's, let's mine the gold a little bit. We talked a lot here about your experiences, some of my experiences and stepping into a space that was unconventional, that didn't necessarily have all of the support from the people that we loved and cared about most when we were stepping into it. So what, what words of encouragement or direction would you have for guys who are listening to the podcast? Because I know, I know you guys out there, I know you're listening and I know that you're just listening to these episodes and you're sitting on the sidelines. You're not quite ready to jump into the fire circle or something, any, anything else that we do here. So what, what, what is the encouragement that you have for those guys? What, what would you say to those men who are sitting back, not quite ready to take that leap? So this is a phrase and this will stick with me for the rest of my life. And this was the phrase that got me to stop being a spectator and actually take, take the jump. And the phrase is, what's the best thing that could happen? Uh, at the time, I was, um, I just relapsed. I'd, um, I'd, I'd, I was doing personal development, but I relapsed. I was very insecure. I separated from my partner. I'd gone on an ice binge. I blew myself on alcohol. And that was my catalyst of saying enough was enough. I really need to like really focus on me and this doesn't happen again. So I started seeing a psychologist. Melinda had gifted me a, no way I'm going to this. And he said to me, what's the best thing that could happen if you went there? And I started going down the road of the worst case scenario. And he's like, man, that's how you've grown up your whole entire life. We all hear that phrase of like, what's the worst that could happen? 
flip the mindset and like start looking at what's the best thing that can happen. And so I started that started new thought patterns of new possibilities, new opportunities of like what did I what could it be possible for me in my life? What would I like to have in my life? And that was enough encouragement for myself to actually just step off the precipice. And from there, never look back. And I continually catch myself with that of like sometimes I'll go to a networking event or a barbecue and maybe not want to be there 100%. I'll ask myself, what's the best thing that can happen? And then before I enter that door, and it just allows me to like be vigilant of new opportunities, new people, and, and just uh, be in the realm of possibility rather than putting a container around myself or the scenario or the room saying that's how it's going to be. So yeah, if you're sitting on the sideline, Firstly, congratulations for getting yourself into a space that you're actually in proximity of hearing about men's work. But that's, that's worth celebrating. And what's the best thing that could happen if you come and join the fire circle, if you came and joined an actual men's group and got face-to-face with people, how would your life look? I love that perspective. What could be different? I love that perspective, man. That's, I'm glad that you brought that in because one of the one of the life-changing moments that I had was somebody asking me the opposite question. He asked me, a good friend of mine said, well, what's the worst that could happen? And it was, it's funny because it was equally as transformative for me, but I, I, I wonder what I would have said if he had asked me the opposite. It, what is the best thing that could happen? Mm-hmm. And I think that's such a valuable perspective to put out there because no matter what any of us choose in our lives, it's it's going to be challenging. There's the There's the challenge of sitting on the sidelines feeling the pain of not being in the game, seeing other people have what you want, mm-hmm. what you desire in your life, but not being able to will yourself to get that. I, a lot of times I think that that pain is worse than the day-to-day challenge of trying to make it happen. But then there's also the challenges of trying to create the lives that, that we desire. So one of my favorite sayings, I'll bring in a quote here is pain is inevitable, but suffering is a choice how we be with the pain and the challenge and the difficulties in life is, is the choice. They're going to be there regardless. That's the, if there's any certainties, it's that that life is going to have challenge in it. Mm-hmm. And so I, I just think that that's a, that's a really great perspective to look at it, man. You know, what is, what is the best thing that could happen in this, in this guarantee that life is not going to be easy? What would you like to do with that? Yeah. Yeah. I like your analogy too, man. Love that quote. Like the, what was it again? Suffering is, a choice. choice. Pain is inevitable, but suffering is a choice. Yeah. And how long we, uh, I'm speak for my, myself here, for how long I've sat in suffering and wallowing and worrying and stressing. And it was my choice the whole time. Uh, and looking back on, mm-hmm. on that, the same psychologist used the analogy with that of like that we have the choice of, uh, of sitting in suffering. Um, he called it pockets of time. And if you break the day into 15-minute intervals, there's 96 pockets of time. Uh, usually, we sleep on average eight hours a day, which is 32 pockets of time. Work for eight hours, which is 32 pockets of time. And then you have another 32 pockets of time every single day to spend how you want. And then he asked me, how, how many pockets of time a day you spend worrying? And I was like, oh, and I really started looking at that. And it, then he dropped the even bigger hammer. He's like, and those pockets of time are going to run out. They're finite. Like they're eventually going to run out. So what are you doing with your life? Are you living in as a spectator sitting on the sideline? How long are you just going to watch for? How long are you going to worry about all the problems? Like you could take action on this. You could be living 
you could be looking at all the best things and having those best things. Um, that that correlated with the uh, the pocket of time, and then what's the best thing can happen? That was the the thing that got me to stop being a spectator in my life. Yeah. So w- this therapist that you were working with was his name Yoda. <laughs> <laughs> Doctor Dr. Paul McCall, Doctor Paul McCormack here on the Sunshine Coast. <laughs> and yeah, I just got a mental health care plan then, and then just hooked up with this dude. It was interesting. I was sitting in the waiting room, and this this other gentleman walked out. And instantly, my body got this chill, and I just didn't feel safe. Of like, and I'm just like, man, I hope it's not him. I just, wrote, just remember my energy walling up. But then Paul walked out, and I was just like, oh, this dude feels good. And then yeah, we, I ended up seeing him for about nine months, man. And yeah, he, he just had some uh, amazing wisdom. Amazing wisdom. It definitely allowed me to start talking more about what was going on. Gave me some great perspectives. And it wasn't until I stepped into men's work that I really had a lot of a uh, lot of healing. Because other men shared their stories, because I'd created a belief that it was it was only me that was going through this shit. There was only me that was insecure. It was only me that was really jealous. There was only me that was molested as a kid. And then coming into men's circles and hearing other men's stories, it's like, man, I've been through that. Seeing another man's pain when he's talking about his jealousy is like, man, I, I know what that pain feels like. And that mirroring and reflection, all of that isolation and that feeling of loneliness that I felt when my best mate had called, said I was in a cult, that all shifted in when I started doing the men's circle. I really felt like I belonged there because I was. everyone had walked in my shoes. They'd felt and experienced the pain that we're talking of in different ways, shapes, or forms. And then also gave me a sense of gratitude in the most wholesome way that sometimes when a man would share. I was like, man, my life is like so good at the moment compared to what that dude is going through. And it allowed me to be really grateful and appreciative of my life and what I had um, and stop dwelling on the small stuff. Yeah, man. (laughs) Yeah, I want to, it's funny that you brought that up because one of the notations I had in here for things that we could chat about was worriers and warriors. And you got your man cave shirt on there. I know that this is something that we talk about in man cave. Shout out to the CMB Conscious Man Brotherhood. Woo woo. Three beats, yeah, man. So, warriors and warriors. Mm. Why don't you Why don't you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, man. A warrior. Warrior gets shit done. He's a man of action. He finds a way out of no way. Uh, the best word I like with a warrior is grit. And I remember the Navy SEALs did some tests because they put all of their their men, their warriors, through all these grueling tests to try and find how much grit these men had, how much determination they had. Not just motivation, but once that motivation gone, the determination. And that word is grit. And every single man has a different, because what the Navy SEALs found is that they can't actually test for grit unless you actually have a direct experience physically. A man has to get in the trenches. He has to physically experience it. There's no aptitude test to test for grit. And so we all know every man in some way, shape or form has experienced that time that he's had to bite down on his teeth and say, fuck it, and really go into that warrior, that place of a beast. And because we have that reference point, we can access that and allow that warrior to really pave a way with anything that we put our mind and heart to and channel that energy into that. The shadow side of that is the warrior, that part of ourself that is like that young boy in us, the young boy that got put down for going first, the young boy that put his hand up in class and got laughed at because what he said was like quote unquote wrong. 
Um, and because of that young boy getting put down and missing out and uh, experiencing trauma and feelings of like not being worthy enough and didn't belong and that causes this state of worrying and that state of worrying stops the warrior from actually committing and actually trying something new. It stops the warrior from, it, he has a fearing failure. He's, he's worrying about finances. He's worrying that he doesn't have the tools to do what he, that's on his heart. He is in a constant state of scarcity. There's a the warrior doesn't believe in himself. He's lost, lack, lack or lost his confidence, and ultimately just forgot how powerful he really is. Yeah, yeah, man. I I love that the way that you broke that down so so thorough. And and for me, when I really reduce it to me, a warrior is a solution oriented man, mm-hmm. and a warrior is a problem oriented man. Mm. If you want to polarize it, mm. and and also, this isn't a universal thing. This isn't a one-size-fits-all. You can be a warrior in the gym where you're crushing weights, but you come home and you're a warrior around your finances. You're a warrior about your relationship. You're a warrior around all these other things. So I think it's also important to recognize that we can be warriors or warriors in different areas of our lives. And also that for me, when we say a warrior, it's not, to, it's not a term that's used to shame anyone. It's, it's, a, it's, it's a distinction so that we know when we're either allowing fear to cripple us or our vision to motivate and inspire us and drive us. And I think another important layer, we all experience fear. I experience fear to some degree on every day, mm-hmm. doubt as well. Mm-hmm. It's when I let those fears or doubts live and fest, fester inside of me without having a space to share them. Like I've been, like I've been doing a lot in, in all of my different men's circles, especially with, with you and the rest of the CMB guys, even recently that mm. those fears don't cripple me. They don't fester. They don't become overwhelming. They, they get laughed about, not, not laughed in a shameful way, but kind of like, oh, wow. Yeah. I've been there before. No big, you got this man. No big deal. They, they become, they shrink. Yeah. They become smaller yeah. because they're not given so much power. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and um, the, I love the analogy of when we're worrying too, it's up in the mind. The elephant in the room can get so big and noisy. Though when we can verbalize that worry or the elephant into a men's circle, that elephant becomes small. It doesn't have the heaviness and it doesn't weigh us down anymore because there's hopefully, usually, men that have been through that and they can shine. Like you said, man, the, the humor and the encouragement and support, like, hey, man, you got this. It's not that bad. And then, yeah. Mm-hmm having that, that relevance and that reference point to, to go from, from the warrior and then into the warrior. Yeah, that's huge, man. And, and also a part of that layer of being a warrior is the paralysis by analysis, by thinking and thinking and thinking and waiting and waiting and getting ready to get ready, trying to plan out everything so meticulously so that I won't have to experience failure or disappointment or letdown or be exposed as a fraud all of which I'm talking about a lot of my own experiences too, mm. that we can get we can get crippled by. We can get stunted in our growth and our progress versus this idea of just, like you said, saying, fuck it, grab your balls and go for it. Be willing to put yourself out on a line and yeah. take a risk. It's one of the things that we do best and see what happens. Yeah, yeah. I remember um, Bill Smith driving around, he's talking about failure and he used the analogy of the gym and he said that, when we do a bicep curl, we actually continue, we, we do the reps until we get to failure. And then when we hit failure, we rest and then we recoup. And that's when the muscle 
grows and that dropped for me man because i'm like man i'm I, up until that point i've been so scared of failure because i worried what other people would think i was worried about what other people would say i was worried about my identity and my stature and all that kind of stuff and then when i heard will smith say that it's like man well failure is going to be growth there's like there, there is no failure because you're always going to continue to win and grow and reflect and so from that it's like when i feel that worry come in it's like cool let's go it, it, it's going to work or there's going to be a lesson yeah Oh, I love that, man. I haven't heard that one yet, but that's, I mean, you hear, you hear guys say that all the time, right? I know that there, there's so many guys, myself included, who have that fear of failure that dictates a lot of our decisions. And we, and yet we use the word failure in the gym all the time. <laughs> Just like that. It's so ironic, man. Our relationship with these ideas and these concepts can really, can really influence and impact us. Yeah. Yeah, man. Yeah. yeah. And well, what uh, I really like about that analogy is it, it actually has science to back it up. And the, there is some the scientific proof around that failure and, and actually putting in effort until it hits that breaking point. And then once it hits that breaking point, so there's a breakdown. And then through that breakdown, then there's a breakthrough in the muscle and the muscle fibers and the tissues. It's the same analogy with our emotional state, with our mental state, with our mindset. With I know there's some men, the analytical men love to hear, so they have some data and some facts behind things, some things rather than just saying it. And that's one of the things around failure that it, it can be proven with science with around the muscles. If we can implement it with the muscles, we can implement it in all those other facets and areas of mental or masculinity or life. Uh-huh. Awesome, Blaze. Listen, man, as we start to get ready to tie this thing up and put a bow on it, I just want to I just want to mention that I've noticed in myself and other leaders around me that there's a an ability, a capacity that we cultivate and develop to just step in, to just show up with with what we've got. You know, I remember when I first started doing these podcast episodes, I used to script out all of my questions meticulously. I would I would have 20 to 25 questions and I, and I wanted to ask them in sequence. And, you know, that didn't last very long because it made for, you know, really poor conversations. And and even just before we got on this call, you and I, we just, we said, hey, you know what, let's just get started because we know something's going to come through by us just being ourselves. And so going all the way back to the beginning of this stepping in and being yourself and really owning who you are, regardless of what anyone's going to think about it. I, I think, <laughs> I think we really captured and embodied that in the way that we carried on this interview today, man. So I just want to thank you for being willing to step out on the ledge and take a leap and trust that we were going to, we were going to fly with it. Yeah, man. And the rawness and the transparency of that was, I, I noticed a bu some butterflies come up and it's like, awesome. They're there. And just noticing like, cool. There's a, there's a little bit of excitement there. There's a little bit of nerves there. And then just coming back to the manager, like, I've got this. Like, I have all the answers I ever need. Uh, was it perfect? No. Oh, there's something that I've said in here. It's like, oh, that, is, that sounded a bit clunky, though. It's all good. It, 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 it's all good, man. So, really appreciate the opportunity to lean into that and uh, and play with it. Yeah, man. It's a good edge for both of us. So, so before we before we officially sign off, man, uh, one, one last message. If you have one more thing that you want to say to to the guys out there who are listening, what would you want to share before you sign off? If not now, when? If not you, who? I've heard that several times and it really resonates with me of like, if not now, when? Like how long am I going to wait until I actually claim the life that I want? How long am I going to wait before I actually step off that precipice? How long am I going to wait until I get the thing that I want to get? How long am I going to wait until I start? And then uh, if not you, who? Uh, we touched on that and seeing other men rise when you deep down know that you got that 
And like, if you're, if not you, someone else is going to take that place of who you want to be, what you want to achieve. And so, yeah, just step in, get into the game. What's the best thing that could happen? <laughs> I love that place. Well, listen, man, always great having a conversation with you. Thank you for jumping in, leaning in and bringing all that great wisdom, man. It's great to see just how far you've come. And I'm really honored to be walking and marching in this journey side by side with you and also inspired by how you have transformed your life into into what it is today, man. Yeah, thank you for being you and being an example. Thank you very much, man. Thank you, bro. And it's definitely reflected back, man. It's, uh, it, it is a true honor to walk by your side. And I gain so much value from being in your vicinity. And the, uh, the, I just remember, always repeat this so often, as many times as I can, man, because it really rings true to me. You, know, you said in a, in a really beautiful relationship, both people should feel like they're winning. And I really feel like I'm winning knowing you and being one of your brothers, man. That's yeah, really <laughs> close and dear to my heart. And, I tell so many people that and so many people get these aha moments with that, man. So thank you, bro. Love you, man. <laughs> yeah, likewise, man. I definitely feel like I got the better end of the deal with you too, man. Uh, so uh, we, we could debate about that. <laughs> <laughs> we, probably, we probably will, man, for the rest of time. But uh, since we're out of time, man, tell these guys where to, where to find you so they can get a, a little more blaze in their life. Yeah, guys. Lazegrinner.com is actually getting built out at the moment. So up until then, hit me up on Facebook, Blaze, B-L-A-S-E-G-R-I-N-N-E-R. Drop me a messenger. I always reply to everyone. That's something that I hold very close to my heart. So, yeah, hit me up on Facebook. And then, yeah, in the very near future, there'll be a website there as well. Beautiful, brother. Well, thank you again, man. Until, until we get you back on here next time, be well and keep crushing it out there. Thank you, man. Thank you for having me. I hope you enjoyed this episode. I hope you got something valuable for your life, something to help you on your unique mission as a man in this world. If you want to become a bigger part of the Rising Man movement, then don't hesitate. Go over to risingman.org, hit the fire circles tab and get yourself signed up for our virtual men's fire circles. Get yourself your own men's team, an opportunity to work more closely with myself and the Rising Man power team, and just an opportunity to connect with 70 men from all over the world. It's a blossoming, amazing community that we've got going on here. And I'd love to see more of you guys be a part of it. So more information for that at risingman.org. Please subscribe and follow us wherever you're listening to this podcast, wherever you're checking out what we're doing. And please, please, please share these episodes, share the clips and the social media content that we put out there with your friends, especially the men in your life, because we want to spread this message all over the world. That's our mission. And your part is helping us do that. So please do so. Please share it up, spread it wherever you see it and tag the men in your life who need to become a bigger part of the Rising Man. Check us out on Instagram at Rising Man Movement and our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash The Rising Man Movement. Shout out to my power squad, Rowan, Sean, Julian, Ryan, and Mark, and everybody else out there who's been listening, whether it's your first episode or your 124th episode. I'm so grateful to have you. So grateful to have you as a part of this Rising Man Movement. Until next time, rise up and claim your destiny.